0: Welcome back to another episode of Well Said, where I interview policy experts, commentators, academics, students, and activists on topics of higher ed, free speech, and other related topics in American culture and policy. You can share this episode on Facebook or YouTube, as well as any of our podcast platforms such as Apple, Spotify, Anchor. Download the episode and listen anytime. If you like what you heard today, give our podcast a five-star rating and go to our website, speechfirst.org, and press donate. Okay, so you're joining us for the third episode of our Courage is Contagious miniseries, where our goal is to share inspiring stories of students speaking out and fighting for their constitutionally protected rights. As we begin the fall semester and students go back to campus, we believe it is important that they exhibit the courage necessary to bring uh, back inquiry, debate, intellectual discourse, all back to campuses. And this is things that are they're missing, desperately missing on campuses right now. Um, I've talked to a number of faculty, a number of students who told me they don't do discussions in the classroom anymore. They don't get to challenge each other intellectually. They feel like everything is kind of falling flat. And it has a lot to do with the fact that people are afraid to ask questions, that they're afraid to bring up certain topics. Um, So that's what we want to encourage students to do, especially as you're going back to campus, to have that courage to speak out because we do believe that courage is contagious. And as you hear these stories, and as you see, as other students see you guys speaking up in your classrooms, they're gonna be more inclined to speak up and speak out as well. Okay, so for our guest today, I am very excited to have on our show Stevie Giorno, a recent graduate from the Belmont University who was surprised on campus with an incident that escalated quite quickly and made Stevie and students alike have a much deeper understanding and appreciation for how bad the situation has actually become on college campuses. Thank you so much, Stevie, for joining us.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me and being able to share the message of what happened when I was at Belmont University.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, I'm looking forward to hearing your story and kind of what happened. I do want to start off though, because I've seen a couple of articles about this school already. Um, just, you know, some coverage, not, um, you know, in addition to what happened with you, it kind of has a weird reputation for being pretty anti-speech, right. Or having like a lot of coercive method uh, tactics that they use, um, to get students to really fall in line with the, the kind of like woke agenda, political agenda that they're pushing. Um, I'm kind of I would like to hear from you first. One, did you ex- did you expect this going into this personality going into with a a Christian liberal arts school. Like, you know, this is not something that you're like, oh, I'm going to go to a Christian school and I'm totally going to have to talk about all these things with the LGBTQ movement. And like, you know, it's, I'm kind of curious. So what was your first impression when you kind of first entered campus? Um, And what was, you know, what was happening in freshman orientations um, and some of these initial programs that you had to attend? Uh, One thing we write a lot about here at Speech First is the indoctrination attempts and the coercive attempts in freshman orientations and in these kind of initial training sessions that students have to go through?
1: Well, no, I did not expect (laughs) what happened to happen at all. And and it even started all the way in my freshman year in 2018. When I started, I wanted to go to a school that was similar to my high school. I went to high school at Battleground Academy in Franklin, Tennessee. It's a small private school. And I wanted to go to college at a small private school. And Belmont University was just a few minutes north of us in in Williamson County, Tennessee. And I really enjoyed how from outward appearances and from Mm -hmm. the decades of its history, that it is a small Christian conservative university, especially in a time, you know, in 2018, where you don't have a whole lot of that anymore. And I understand why it's because the left has infiltrated everything, especially conservative universities like Belmont. And so when we went for the tours, my family and I, we had a great time. It was, you know, you would pray before you'd go on the tour. It was very Christ-centered and focused. But that continued until about uh, when the parents left from orientation. Wow. Then after, that, then after that, right away, you could tell that it wasn't necessarily the school it was being uh, advertised to be. You know, it's a very heavily music business and artist than in school. So you have a lot of people coming from New York, Illinois, California, who want to make it in the music industry. And unfortunately, they bring their politics with them. And while in 2018 and 2019, there wasn't that much of a, you know, politics did not make people's personalities. It wasn't their livelihoods. It was just something certain people on campus paid attention to. Um, but initially you know, just being exposed to a lot of different people from up north, I could tell it wasn't going to be the school they had advertised. And in fact, my freshman year, they brought a speaker to speak to the entire freshman class, and it was required that we attend. And in it, the speaker, who was a prominent liberal, was saying, never listen to people on the right, always listen to people on the left. And she actually uh, referenced the, the biblical story of when Jesus is 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 dying on the cross. She says, the person on the right was the bad person. The person on <laughs> Jesus' left was the one asking for forgiveness. So she tried to take the story of Jesus's death and crucifixion and turn it into a political point of why people on the right are always wrong and why you should always wow. listen to people on the left. So that was my experience. And I remember talking to my parents a few days after I went to that, because it made the news in, the, in Nashville and in Tennessee and I remember telling them, this isn't going to be like high school. I understand all these stories that are coming out. I was I was in Turning Point USA at the time, and I had heard of all these stories on all these other campuses going on. And I said, well, it can't be happening at Belmont. And lo and behold, it happened my very first couple of weeks at the school.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I mean, I just can't believe they're going to try to twist and distort christianity to be like no this is the right is always wrong god said so when when we started when he when he when he was on day one he said the right is always wrong and that's <laughs> right um no it's that's that's fascinating actually that they actually try to spin that even um okay so that's your first exposure to what's happening on campus. And you're like, wow, something's seriously off here. But did you still have hope that even in your classrooms, even with your fellow students, that you could just talk about the issues that are happening? Because you said your freshman year, what would you say it was 2019?
1: Yes, 2018 and 2019.
0: 2018, yes. 2019. Okay. So I feel like things were heating up quite a bit, obviously, because it was post-Trump at that point, but we were still pre-2020 when things mm-hmm. really started to hit the fan, right? So do you did you feel like your first year, maybe there was still a little bit of hope in there?
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, our teachers at the time in 2018 and 2019 in the political science department were great. They encouraged open debate in classes. They encouraged people to think outside of the box. They wanted people to debate in class respectfully Mm -hmm. and in fact i actually joined a fraternity during that time and it was the and it still is the only fraternity on belmont's campus and you'd have people who were conservative you'd have people who are liberal you'd have people that are christian you have people that are atheist, you have people that are muslim and we all got along and you know we didn't make religion or politics the defining aspect of our lives Uh, Mm -hmm. But this is all, of course, before 2020. I also had many friends in college Democrats. I, at this time, was serving as a senator in student government where we would work with all the student groups regardless of what their religion was, what their politics was, because the job in student government was to do the best job you could for the students, to keep student fees low, to help students be able to find different scholarships, Uh, In different ways that they could further their academic uh, experience. And so it really shouldn't have been a political job. Uh, It should, it still should not be a political job. And I had a lot of friends from all these different backgrounds and I thought they considered me friends too, but this is of course, like you said, before 2020, the year when absolutely everything changed.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because, you know, I remember in 2016, when Trump got elected, students were able to skip exams because of mental health (laughs) issues, they were like holding crying sessions in the counselor's offices on campus. People freaked out. I remember seeing the protests in DC outside of the Trump Hotel, outside of the White House, and people were freaking out. But you're saying that there was still an understanding on campus, at least on your campus, that this is, as much as we may disagree, it's important that we stick together, that we work together. I mean, Belmont's a relatively small campus. It's not like a big state school or anything. So to have those tight knit communities, even with people who have very different views, I think is unique and special and something that should try to be maintained. I find it really interesting actually, and this is kind of a little off topic, but I'm curious on your thoughts on this, that you have atheists on a, at a Christian campus um, and Muslims at a Christian campus. Can you... Um, tease that out just a little bit, just to kind of like, I'm, I'm curious, is that considered normal or were they, how, how did they operate on campus? Because it is a Christian school. What made them choose the school exactly?
1: I'm not very sure. Uh, from what I've gathered, I think it's because it's a small private school in Nashville. Uh, but you know, the person who actually seceded me, uh, as student body president was a conservative Muslim student. So it was always really interesting, but he, he had always, I had asked him about this and he told me once he said, I knew what I signed up for. I'm happy I have to go to some Christian theology classes. I want to learn more about the Christian faith. Uh, So he had a really unique and I think great way of looking at it was that, that, you know, he he knew what he signed up for. And, you know, if you had someone who is a Christian like me and you had them sign up for a Jewish school or a Muslim school, or even, you know, a school that's not, you know, an atheist school, Mm -hmm. um, you know what you're signing up for beforehand. And I feel that so long as you are abiding by the rules, you know, Belmont is a dry campus. Mm -hmm. uh, So, you know, as long as you know what you are signing up for in advance, I think it's fair. Uh, And I was very happy that there were people at the school that didn't look like me, that didn't think like me and came from different backgrounds, because I think that was that made for a much better academic experience.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's I think when there's That intellectual diversity is really what's the most important when we're talking about, I mean, I know with all this affirmative action stuff, we we, we wrote an amicus brief in the Supreme Court case for um, students for fair admissions versus Harvard and UNC. Um, I think it does everyone a disservice to just presume that racial diversity equates intellectual diversity. And Mm -hmm. what we're really trying to aim for here is a better education. And those universities could not defend their racial discriminatory policies because they couldn't explain to Clarence Justice Thomas, who, uh, you know, asked, called them out on this, how does this actually improve the educational experience. Show me evidence. Because what you're talking about is there is evidence that that improves the educational experiences when you have those diverse backgrounds, but primarily from kind of like a perspective issue and an intellectual issue, uh, diverse background. So I think that's where we kind of get lost when we talk about diversity a lot on campuses. We kind of get lost in in um, the racial argument and really um, don't appreciate enough the intellectual diversity argument. Um, Okay. So back on topic, because I want to hear this story. And I know our listeners are dying to hear this because this is just insane. I'm smiling. Like, well, okay. So start with your story. And then I'll, I'll kind of throw up the picture, the image here of, of what you posted online. You guys are going to be shocked. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen someone post online ever. So here, go ahead and tell us and we'll, we'll get started.
1: <laughs> well, absolutely. So I was elected to serve as student body president unanimously. I had endorsements from the college Republicans, the college Democrats, my fraternity, my vice president's my vice president sorority. We we ran on a post. Mm. Everyone supported us at the time. Uh, We had some different ideas that really positively benefited the school uh, from all different viewpoints because that was something, you know, like I said earlier, it shouldn't have been a political job. You need to do things that all people are going to enjoy, especially students at a time where tuition is so expensive. Yeah. Well, everything was going great until about March, April, you know, when we go on spring break and we never return back. And then unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you know, you had all, everything happen with George Floyd, um, which really changed the dynamic of school, I think across the country and particularly at Belmont university. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people took it as a political issue of either you're with us or you're against us, you know, and, and I feel like it, went down to, hey, if you're a conservative, you're you're against us. And if you're a liberal, you're with us. And so you have all the rioting going on in all the cities. You have all the protests, which is a very bad time to be a young person in college in America. Wow. Well, on the 4th of July in 2020, I posted a picture of myself in front of the White House. And I said that I was proud to be an American. And I thanked those who had served in the military and our forefathers. Uh, for giving us the freedoms and liberties that were intended for us on July 4th in 1776.
0: And for those of you who are not um, with us on video and you're just with us on audio, um, it is just a picture of Stevie standing in front of the White House, Um, there's no flags, no special colors painted on the white house at the time. He's just wearing a Nashville soccer club sweater and smiling and literally just saying basically happy 4th of July guys. We are only here because they fought for what they believed in. And essentially that's, that's what started this whole thing. Um, and again, very neutral image. So go, go ahead, Stevie.
1: Well, within 24 hours, there was a change.org petition created to impeach me as student body president. Because the liberal groups on campus were saying that I was celebrating a covertly racist holiday was their exact language they used. Uh, because the Fourth of July celebrates a racist and evil country is their argument. Uh, there were hundreds of comments on that Instagram post. You know, I, I've always had a public Instagram account. I've never hidden who I was. I even when I ran for office, you know, I. I I never hid who I was. I was very upfront and open with people, so I had nothing to hide. And so there are still, to this day, hundreds of negative comments. Some are saying, "Go kill yourself," you know. Others are saying, "I'm a terrible person," and you know, I'm the worst thing ever. Uh, they compare me to all these awful people throughout history because I love America.
0: Wow. Um, and also I'll go ahead and put this up on the screen for those who are watching video, but for those who are just listening, I'm just gonna read quickly, Stevie, the description of how they how they describe what you did. So we already saw the picture of the post. Remove Stevie Giorno from SGA presidency. Why this petition matters? Stevie Giorno refuses to acknowledge the racism surrounding the 4th of July and posted a very, all caps, covertly racist post on the 4th. We might not always agree, but racism is not a political issue. It's a human rights one. This is not the leadership Belmont deserves. Demand better Belmont. Remove C. V. DiArno from SGA president and help give Belmont student leadership that represents all students and unapologetically stands against racism. Spread the word. His Instagram is, and they list your your social media contacts as well. So I'm sure you got a lot of posts on there.
1: I did, but fortunately, I did get a lot of followers too. So a lot of people looked at <laughs> it and said, "Well, oh, this is stupid. This is stupid."
0: Yeah, um, that's amazing. It's amazing, though. I just I, I, the reason I wanted to read that whole thing is because I think it's just so important that everyone understands the ridiculousness of this, but also the kind of the irrational, the cognitive dissonance that exists um, between like they're saying that they have concluded at this point that the 4th of July is racist. It's a racist holiday. And they're blaming you for someone who's just saying happy 4th of July, something that literally everyone has said in this country every single 4th of July, that you are uh, an avowed racist because you said happy 4th of July on social media. Um, and so this is where, this is this is the chaos that, that's happening in the minds of these students that they're just not able to really understand how ridiculous and crazy this sounds. Um, So, okay. So let's, what was your initial, when you first saw this, um, what was your initial response? Like, what what were you thinking in your head?
1: Well, I had posted this at about seven or 8 PM on the 4th of July, right before I went to a friend's house to go shoot off fireworks, uh, and go grill out. And I remember it was raining a little bit, so we weren't able to get in the pool, but I didn't check my phone. I, I, at the time I had notifications off for Instagram just because didn't, you know, I, I'm not a big social media guy. I barely post. Uh, I just didn't think anything of it. Well, about an hour or two in, uh, I had a friend call me and said, Hey, have you seen what's going on on your Instagram? Now, now I have notifications off. What's up? He says, well, I think you should go look at it. There are a lot of people commenting on it and it's not very pleasant. So just so you're aware. And I said, oh, okay, thanks. I'll look at it. And so I, as soon as I, <clears throat> excuse me, pull it up on my Instagram, I see all the comments and someone who's with me in person says, why are all these people mad at you for your for your post? What did you do? And I said, you tell me, you didn't tell me if I did something wrong. And of course they read it and they said, oh, well, these people are just wrong. And what it boiled down to at the end of the day, the reason that that, that those students were commenting on my post and the reason they made the petition was because i refused to endorse the black lives matter organization mm. uh you know my cousin was a, a police officer in the city of chicago uh, wow. who was shot and killed serving so we're gold star family wow. members um and so i was never going to support an organization that says what they say about the police that calls for the defunding of the police. Uh, So I was never going to support that. And when everyone was posting those, you know, those little black squares on Instagram, I did not because I disagree with the organization. And that motivated a lot of those students. That's why they singled me out when I said I was proud to be an American on the 4th of July, uh, because I was not bowing to the woke mob for the past few months.
0: Let's elaborate on this just a little bit, because I'm kind of curious how that got their attention. So just the mere act of not posting a black square on your social media accounts, that, that became of notice to people. Like people went on everyone's social media. It's like, who's not posting a black square. I'm going to get you kind of like, <laughs> kind of like that, the biblical story where you paint red on the door you know? and they're like, now instead you have to post a black lives matter sign outside of your door in order to, to, to not have them come for your, for your children and for your reputation. So, okay. So let's, Tell me a little bit about that, because I'm kind of curious how that whole thing went down on campus. Were you the only one on campus who didn't post a Black Square or did they go after everyone?
1: I was not the only one. My vice president did not. Many of the people on my cabinet did not. However, uh, they saw a person, they saw me as a person in charge and they said, hey, I think we can intimidate him into changing it. And in fact, my fraternity brother's Uh, There was a very small group of them that started lobbying our entire fraternity uh, to start coming after me saying I had to apologize for my post and take it down and put up a separate post from my personal Instagram page apologizing and saying that I support the Black Lives Matter organization. And in fact, they said if I didn't do that, they were going to do whatever it took to destroy my life.
0: Wow. I mean, let's just so these are your fellow students. They're going to have college degrees one day. They're going to be in charge of something one day. They're going to be running businesses. They're going to be working in the government. They're going to be, you know, working in film industry, tech industry. And this is how they view the world. I think this, I just want our listeners to really understand this is how they see the world, that if, if you don't do what we say and support our politics, we will destroy your lives. We will label you as persona non grata and we'll exile you, exile you. These are all tactics. These are all coercive tactics that were used by communist regimes, by other totalitarian regimes. And it's, it should be terrifying to Americans right now, knowing that this is happening, that we have people who think like this, who want to use these tactics to strong arm people in in America and that they've completely, completely just thrown the book out, you know, out the window, um, in, in many senses of the phrase. So, yeah, let's, let's talk more about everyone's reaction to this. So you had your fraternity brothers turning on you. And I'm curious kind of what the dynamics were there. Um, what was going on with faculty, administrators, your friends on campus?
1: Well, first, um, when it came, at least with my parents, my parents saw everything that was happening. And my mom had actually grown up in communist Yugoslavia. She went to first oh. and second grade there uh, wow. in, in the 19... 19- it would be the late 1960s, early 1970s, because my grandma was, uh, my, my grandparents on my mom's side actually escaped Yugoslavia in the 1950s. Uh, my grandpa was born in 1923 in what is now Croatia. So as you can wow. imagine, you know, you, you're hiding from Hitler in the 40s. And then right after that, it's Josef Tito that you have to hide from in the late 40s and the early 50s. And they actually legally came to this country. They went to Ellis Island and then New York and then Chicago, where I'm originally from. So when it came to my parents, they said, we will support you with whatever you want to do. Just don't forget everything your grandparents told you about how how this is how it starts. So I was very fortunate that my parents had my back with whatever I chose to do. And I had the firsthand experience of talking to my grandpa and asking him what his country was like when he lived there. And he told me when he had to hide from the Nazis under the kitchen sink when they were searching for him. Uh, you know, he would told me that after the war, the, the communist regime said you are going to be a bus driver for the rest of your life. You know, I I don't know if you've ever seen B movie, the B movie, Mm. but you know, at the beginning they say, Hey, you're going to do this job until you die. And that is exactly what it's like in, uh, the communist country of Yugoslavia at the time. And he didn't want to be a bus driver. He wanted more for his life. And so that's why he came to this country legally worked as a diesel truck mechanic and bought real estate and lived the American dream that seems to be going away from us. And, you know, when it came to the administration and the faculty, I was in contact with the university's president, making him aware of what was going on. I was in contact with campus security and the student, the dean of of student life. And at first, the university president said, well, it's no big deal. Change.org petitions are made all the time against me. Uh, if you figure out a way to get rid of it, let me know, because there's so many on me. And so he wanted to make it a, a kind of out to be a joke, despite students saying, and we have the screenshots of this, which was released in a book at the beginning of August called Outcast. We have all the screenshots of students saying, if we see you on campus, we're going to attack you. Gave all of it to the school, and still the university president made jokes about how it was no big deal, and that he had them against him all the time. Well was one of the highest paid university presidents in the entire country, making over $1.2 million a year. Wow. So it didn't really matter what people were saying against him because he was still going to go get paid. Whereas for me, I had, I was close to And he graduating. could afford to
0: hire security if he wanted to, by the way, easily. That's
1: absolutely right. He had his own campus security. And so what happened was when I ended up going back to classes, when they allowed in-person classes... Uh, I actually had to have campus security escorting me to classes because the student body president could not be on his own campus without security. Uh, wow! I could not leave my car on campus. How did you because... get the
0: security? How did you get the security services? Did you have to go to them directly to appeal for that, or did you have to ask the administration to provide it for you?
1: So initially, we had talked to campus security, and they said that they didn't have anyone to spare. Well, then we reached out to a private security company, and once the school saw that we were serious and, you know, cause I don't want anyone to get hurt. I didn't want to I mean, to get it is hurt. illegal to, to
0: yeah, it is illegal to threaten someone's life. So I'm confused how that is not protected speech. I'm just confused how no one took this seriously. <laughs> like if you went to a police, I mean, you, you have cops in the family. If you went to a station and said, I have threats on my life, they would respond to that. I mean, that's something that is something that the law needs to be enforced. This is crazy to me. I just don't understand how they're not taking this seriously.
1: I'm not sure. And it did end up getting a lot worse to where we did need to go to the police department. But we'll get into that shortly because that ties into an even even worse story that I'll one up with. I'll one up it from the the original Instagram post. Uh, So for me to be on campus, what had to happen every day was I would drop off my car uh, close by at a friend's house who had a locked garage. I would get picked up by said friend who would drive me to campus and be in the classes with me. Where we would have to be with security. So they'd take me from the car to the classroom and then meet me after and take me back to the car so I could get my car to go on with life, uh, to go back to work, to go out to eat, to go home, to do whatever I wanted to do. So that was the process for me to be on campus to attend in person classes.
0: How long did you have to do that? Well, I guess this is right around COVID. So how long did you have to do that for?
1: I did it from about we went back for our fall semester in about August, September. So I did that until the end of the year when I stopped serving as student body president, okay. uh, because fortunately I was able to do mostly remote online classes my last semester. Um, but there were students who would recognize me. And of course, you know, everyone's masked and the school saying, oh, well, you're wearing a mask. No one's going to know who you are. You could still tell who people are. It's a. It was a small school at the time. It had 8,000 students.
0: Um, yeah. And you were, you you were in charge of stuff. I mean, you were a student leader, so people knew who you were. I
1: mean, that's exactly right.
0: Yeah. Um, how, how was it studying? I mean, for finals and midterms and stuff, while you had to have a police escort and constantly look over your shoulder and hope that no one was vandalizing your vehicle.
1: Um, I stayed off campus as much as I could, because, you know, like I said, I didn't want to get hurt. I didn't want anyone else to get hurt by doing something stupid. Uh, I ended up doing a lot of, uh, you know, when I turned 21 in the state of Tennessee, you're allowed to carry a firearm. So of course, when I turned 21, uh, got my carry permit. Uh, and so whenever I was off campus, I was always carrying a firearm. So I was always, you know, I was my own security, uh, did martial art classes just to learn how to defend myself. Uh, so I tried to avoid school as much as I could for things I didn't absolutely need to be at because I didn't want to put anyone in jeopardy. I didn't want to put anyone at harm. Uh, so it was a lot of studying at home and at the place I interned for at the time. So I just tried to avoid uh, causing issues outside. You know, outside of just saying what I believe in. Which mean, this is, is crazy. No good deal. Like
0: people want to have guns on campuses. Like when you when when you're allowed to carry guns on campus, people are like, "Yeah, I want to carry a gun just in case there's like an active shooter shooter situation. I want to be able to defend myself." But you actually had to get a gun to actually defend yourself against active threats. You're like, no, I actually want to get a gun because I'm actually terrified that my I, I, someone could try to kill me and there have been valid threats for that. And you actually had to take Marshall. That's insane to me. I mean, this is, you know, we a lot of people realize that it's gotten worse on campuses. I don't think our listeners or people out there who are um, not on campus every day are really, really appreciate how bad it has gotten. And this has only gotten worse. I mean, this was a, a few years ago now. And um like it's it's just kind of amazing to me that the, the administrators really didn't take this seriously. Okay, so you've got you've got security escorts. You've you've got a you've carrying now on campus. You've got martial arts classes. You've got this weird thing where you have to lock your car up and like try to figure out how to sneak onto campus and no one sees where you came from. And like it's just it's just a crazy lifestyle. And and then I want to go, but I want to take all that that you just said and go back to something that your grandfather said to you. I think it's you said it was your grandfather who said that this is how it starts. And that really resonated with me because that's something we talk a lot about on this podcast. Um, we have guests on who come talk about living under communist regimes or totalitarian regimes. And it's just, those are folks who already grew up in it, grew up in it as it existed. We rarely get a glimpse into the the similarities to how something starts um, and how it kind of is so subtle and so quiet. It's not a big explosion overnight that we all are aware of and see it's something that is very, very subtle and it kind of is insidious and builds it way slowly into our temperaments and our operating the way we operate. Um, so tell me a little bit about just kind of that mindset that you had um, and what that means to you and, and, and to your family and, and yeah, connecting those dots.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. Well, first just to clarify, they actually didn't let me bring my gun on campus. Oh, so that's why I had to they have to didn't security, let you so bring no some- in trouble.
0: Yeah. So they didn't bring, they didn't let you bring your gun. The one thing that that you knew was going to protect that you could protect yourself. They did not want you to have your own life in your own hands. That's, that's That's
1: exactly right. And it is so ridiculous. Uh, but you know, back to what my grandfather said of this is how it starts. You know, I remember him telling me, you know, perfect, perfect timing for this. They, he said that they would throw their political opponents in jail. They would do election interference. Uh, they would do everything they could to make sure that the other side, you know, was a one party rule and it was a one party state. They would censor people from the, the the you know the the I guess the newspapers at the time, like they're doing with conservatives now on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would not let people. You know, they throw you in jail for for going against uh, the communist party, and that is what is happening. Not only on college campuses, but with adults, with colleges, with high schools, with grade schools. We are being censored and not being allowed to say what we want to say which is how the communists take over they take away the guns first because then they can do whatever they want which the biden administration is doing the atf is trying to uh, ban all those ar-15 pistols Mm -hmm. uh, the pistol brace ban Um, they're trying to stop people from look at what facebook and twitter did before elon musk of working with the government uh, to silence the critics which is something that would make joseph stalin proud Uh, So we've got a serious problem here because at Belmont, they did not let me host student body or student government meetings because they wanted this controversy to be swept under the rug. They didn't want me to be active. They didn't want me to say what I felt or what my conservative vice president felt. Uh, They wanted us to go away quietly and they wanted the woke mob to just be able to say whatever they wanted to say, regardless of, of, of who it was hurting or you know, any of the consequences. They just wanted to let those kids do whatever they wanted to do. That's why when those students threatened me, they let them get away. And I'll even one up that because there was an incident that we found out about where, so the the state of Tennessee, which is a great state, I hope a lot of your viewers are from here. And if they're not, they should move here. Um, The state of Tennessee is a single party consent state. Good. Which means you're allowed to record a conversation without anyone else knowing. Yeah, that's the so law. Yeah. When my fraternity referred me to the standards board for saying that I wasn't my conduct was unbecoming of a brother because I refused to endorse the Black Lives Matter. This is a
0: national fraternity. We're correct? It is. Okay. By
1: capita, it is. Okay. Um they made me sit in the standards meeting where I was attacked by a fellow student, a fellow brother of mine, who was Black, and he was telling me how I was the cause of so much pain and suffering in his life because I refused to apologize for being a proud American because this country of ours is apparently so terrible, even though he had some fantastic internships. He went to the same school as I did, Uh, you know, we were on the same economic level, uh, but you know, he was saying that he was treated so unfairly in this country, even though we had very similar lives.
0: And the nerve of them saying that to you after you've had your life, I want to know how many death threats he received in his life, right? I mean, yeah, how many death threats has he received? How does he have to have personal, like, does he have to have security escorting him around campus? Like, this is amazing to me that like, Again, the, the sheer cognitive dissonance and it's just like brain they're brainwashed. Like this is the only way they could regurgitate this stuff, completely ignore all of their logical implications like in, in their minds that are trying to fight against it. They have to be brainwashed. That's the only conclusion I can come to. They can't be this dumb. They just can't be this dumb.
1: That's exactly right. And so we recorded that entire conversation and I gave that to my mom who, like I said, grew up in that communist country and she ended up writing a book about it. Uh, It's available on Amazon.
0: Yeah, tell us Uh, about the book real quick. Well, since you brought it up. Absolutely.
1: The the title of it is Outcast, How the Radical Left Tried to Destroy a Young Conservative. It is written by my mother, Gloria Giorno. And in it, we have all the screenshots, all the text messages, all the emails, uh, all the Instagram comments, and all the transcripts from this fraternity standards meeting I had to sit through. And in it, they said, if you don't apologize, if you don't do what we're telling you to do, uh, we're going to uh, remove you from the fraternity. Well, the person running this meeting was actually my big in the fraternity who got me into the fraternity. And a few weeks after all this passed with the standards meeting, he ended up calling me and leaving a voicemail. I think it was about 1 or 2 a.m., uh, on, I guess a Monday mornings, you know, go, Sunday night, going into Monday morning, we'll get classes the next day. And of course I didn't answer. I was sleeping. And in the voicemail, which we have in the book, he says that he apologized for trying to blackmail me into supporting a group that even he doesn't support despite the fraternity, just endorsing it, which is actually the reason I left. Once they endorsed it, I, I, I resigned from the fraternity, but he knew what he was doing was wrong. But he was so scared that the people coming after me were going to come after him and destroy his future because he wanted to go into music business which is dominated by yeah. the left where i wanted to go into republican politics which you know everyone on our side was agreeing with yeah. so i had nothing to worry about i was going to have a job he ended up calling and apologizing and said oh,
0: blackmailing you yeah for yes. yeah yeah
1: exactly and so Belmont University in 2020 actually hosted the final presidential debate where President Trump and Joe Biden came.
0: Ah, I forgot Uh, about that. Yeah.
1: And the school ended up pulling my debate tickets because of the controversy. Uh, We were able to get them back. uh, But I'll leave that for everyone to read in the book of how we got it back, because it wasn't great. It was something that, you know, you should never have to call the school and say, you all promised tickets for me and my vice president and you all are now. You're taking the them student away.
0: leaders, you're the student leaders of the campus. You're, I mean, you should be uh, So Obama came to uh, my campus when I was there and I was in student government and all the student government, especially the president, got to like escort him because that you're the host, essentially. You're the student host. You represent your student body. That's amazing to
1: exactly. want you there. Yeah. And so they hold my ticket and my vice president's ticket. And when we tried to get him back, they said well, we're running out of COVID tests. We don't have enough COVID tests for you all to get tested. And I actually had COVID a month before and I had the antibody test to prove it. Mm-hmm. And they kept saying, oh, we can't have you. More interestingly, they invited 30 other students, peers of mine to be there who were never in student government, who never did anything outside of being in political in the political science department. So they were singling us out. Because they wanted to get rid of this controversy of this kid who would not endorse this group and was standing up. And I think no one really expected us to stand up, but we did because what was going on was completely ridiculous. And so on the day of the debate, I would go every morning. You know, I'm from Chicago, but lived in Tennessee for almost 10 years. So I love my Tacova boots and I especially love my sweet tea. And so I would always get one every morning from a fast food restaurant. And I didn't know this at the time but there was a student who went to Belmont, who knew who I was, who was a radical leftist. And she knew who I was. And so she admitted in the college Democrat group text at Belmont University, she said, and this is in the book, all the proof is there. She says, I've been putting quote, gross stuff in his drinks.
0: Oh my God. I would have thrown up the second I read that. Oh gosh, that's disgusting. I'm so sorry that, so he's, she's actually been, I mean, that's, that could be assault. She's going be attempted poisoning. There's so many things here that, um, mm-hmm. how did you get, how did you get that text chat? Who, who sent that to you?
1: I had a friend and he's still a great friend. He is a Democrat, but he yes. is a Democrat who you can talk to and he's he a has, normal person.
0: He's not deranged he, yet. He yeah. sent this
1: over to me and he said, Hey, if I were you, I'd go to the doctor. And so I didn't hear about this. Fortunately, thank God. I didn't hear about this till after, you know, I was able to go to the debate. So, yeah. a day or two later, he sends it to me, and he says, "I think you should go to the doctor." Fortunately, I wasn't ill. I don't know what she put in there. Um, you know, she could have spat in it. She could have put something in it. Yeah. Uh, and this student actually calls her out in the group text and says, "That's pretty messed up. Like, what is the matter with you?"
2: Yeah And she says,
1: "Oh, don't worry, It's just fake sugar, you know, all that. And I don't think I don't think uh, I believe that excuse too much, But yeah, we went to the Nashville Police Department and Unfortunately, they're so understaffed because they're ran by a liberal mayor and a beyond liberal city council that they don't have the ability to be properly staffed. And so they are hundreds of officers short. So I remember talking to the lady on the phone and she said, well, how are you feeling? I said, oh, I'm feeling, you know, I'm okay right now. You know, the doctor says I'm okay. And she says, well, usually it'd be, we'd go arrest her for battery, but we're understaffed. And since you're fine, we're just not going to investigate it. So okay. I, take, I take these screenshots and I give them to But don't Campus you have Kirby. the option
0: as a free citizen to press charges? I mean...
1: Well, it's also an extremely liberal DA who, during huh. 2020, when the Metro Nashville Courthouse was burned and there was the proof of who was doing the burning of the building, he refused to prosecute, to prosecute yeah. because he didn't want to do it to his own fellow leftist Mm -hmm. so i was going to get no help from them and it's really unfortunate you know as you know like i said we have very close ties to the police and i love the police in this country the police are fantastic where you know back in communist countries the police officers are there to protect the regime and the Mm -hmm. police officers here are to defend us from the government and from other people infringing on our on our on our rights Mm -hmm. and so we took it to the school We turned in all the screenshots, which had a picture of her in the group me, which she sent it in and her name.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, she was on the verge of graduating. So we turned it into the school and guess what they did? They buried it. I'm sure worse. They accepted her into Belmont law school.
0: Yeah. They accepted someone
1: who, who. If who, she she has wants to be to,
0: a lawyer? She's like trying to poison her political enemies and she wants to practice law. Do we really want her? This is the kind of stuff the bar needs to hear about, to be completely honest.
1: Well, that's what we were going to do, actually, yeah. was, uh, you know, we were going to give it to the, the American Bar Association. However, uh, after her first semester there, she was no longer attending uh, law school. But it is unbelievable to me of how Belmont University was okay with accepting someone into their law school who would not have passed the ABA ethics right. required test, um, where they do a background check and they do all these different things. They look into you. We don't need, it's okay to be a liberal lawyer, a conservative lawyer, a liberal doctor, a conservative doctor. Yeah. So long as at the end of the day, you can put that aside to do your job and do what is best for people. And that's such a problem we have with the other side is that the liberals just have this mentality of it's either you're with me or against me. And I think that's really dangerous for our society as we can see with what's going on in schools. Uh, yeah. And so the school did nothing. Uh, I
0: mean, it just, it just I'm blows sure. my mind that like she could have, she did something that she could be charged with battery to salt for and that's a felony offense and she could have actually had this on her record you're right the the american bar association would she would have not have passed the sniff test for the ethics the ethics test and she uh and then they still they would have accepted her in law school knowing that that's the level of what she did um you just weren't able to press charges and pursue it so she got away with it so now is the standard that like if you get away with a crime it's suddenly okay because that seems to be what's going on in the country it's like if you get away with something and there's no one to stop you, um, and the police aren't going to arrest you for it, then that makes everything you did. Okay. And you're still a good person. Like, this is just fascinating to me. Like the deterioration of, um, just general like law and order rules following, um, because this is what happens This is what happens in, um, uh, in, in, uh, when you are in a state of anarchy, uh, where, where law doesn't apply anymore. Um, it is. Yeah. So, okay. So let's, let's keep, okay. So this is just like, you're right. This just keeps getting worse and worse. This is unbelievable. So you go to this debate, you got the tickets back. Um, what, what happened after all of this?
1: Well, um, I remember going to the debate. We had some good seats. Fortunately, the school ended up giving us our tickets back. We had a great time, got to meet a lot of great people, you know, Lee Greenwood and some other people were there. Kid Rock was there and our state party chair Scott Golden was there, so it was nice to see all of them. Um, you know it's interesting after the election, things seemed to die down. You know as my term was coming to an end, we were still able to get through with some of the things I'd wanted to when we were campaigning, which was great because I wanted to to actually follow through with what I said I wanted to do, despite everything that was going on. We were able to put it aside and get some good work done for the school. Uh, I remember because I was no longer student body president and I was in my final semester. Well, there were still concerns from the school saying, hey, we don't want you on campus if you don't have to be. Now that I was no longer student body president, I did not feel a duty or an obligation to have to be on campus, to have to be in the student government office. I just wanted to graduate, move on with life, get a job and get out of there. Mm. And so I picked all online remote classes to avoid any, you know, I don't want any issues to arise or anything to happen. Yeah. Just trying are, to be I mean, trying to be wise.
0: These are classes you might not even wanted to take. I mean, you're now modifying everything like what you're studying, all all just so that you don't have to, you know, worry about your life on campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is insane. <laughs> and
1: so and so there was our senior thesis class for political science that initially when it was when you were signing up for it, it said that it was a remote class. And of course I was required to take it as a political science major.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, about halfway through the semester, the teacher decides, hey, everyone who's on Zoom, you're coming in the person. I don't care what it said. You either come in or you fail. So, of course, hey. I inform him of what's going on with campus security saying, hey, we don't want you on campus. We don't you know, want the liability. And God forbid something happened to you. It's not going to look good for our school. And so they wanted to avoid Did that. Did the
0: professor know your situation?
1: Or? Yes, he knew all of it. Okay. He knew all of it. i had shared with him everything. And in fact, um, when I gave him all this information, he sent an email to the chair of the political science department at Belmont, where they actually were making fun of me, saying I was overreacting, that I was being difficult. It wasn't as bad as I made it out to seem, um, in direct contradiction to campus security. And so we had on one day campus security saying, hey, don't come on campus. The very next day, oh, you know, we think you're fine. You know, if this mm-hmm. teacher's making you come, it is what it is. You're fine. You're fine. Just come on. Well, when the dean of the political science department was responding to this teacher, he made a mistake and he cc'd a friend of mine who was a student in that class and said that she and I were students that didn't care about school. We only cared about getting ahead in our political careers uh, and just trashed us completely in it. And it was really unfortunate because she was really upset with it. At this point, you know, people are saying mean and untrue things about me. This is in the book? They're just like, I don't care. It's in the book. There's screenshots of this in the book. Wow. And so then that student responds and says, oh, sorry, wasn't trying to be difficult because she also was working a job in politics to where she wanted to be remote because it's easier for everybody. And so she said, I wasn't trying to, you know, she was not trying to make a big deal about it. She apologizes. Right. Uh, she told me she ended up crying over it because she was so upset and it's she ended well, up this the thing it is over to me.
0: I think you're, you're, you probably handled this pretty well. It seems like you're pretty level-headed, but I, for most students... I mean, you're under so much pressure all the time. You're just trying you're trying to get your entire career. You know, there's a lot of pressure going on about like passing, doing well, having a solid reputation. There's all the online stuff that you have to worry about and it's like this would be incredibly stressful for most students to go through. I think it'd be a very emotionally distressing situation and most would have probably would have breakdowns, honestly. Um and wouldn't be able to
1: continue college. That's exactly right. And so she was able to, you know, she was upset for a day, but she got over it and she sent it over to me and I just remember being so happy that now we had the proof
0: Right. that yeah.
1: not only was the administration doing this to us, not only were the students doing this to us, we had concrete proof that the teachers were also in on it, trying to trivialize this matter just because it went against what they believed in.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: uh, we have all of that in the book, uh, but we have everything that we have been saying on this podcast. It's all provable. And that's what's so great about the state is just we we were able to write this book to where there's nothing like it, where there's firsthand proof of everything, everything that's said, you know, cause you hear all the time of what happens right. on these campuses, but you never get the, you know, you always get the 30,000 view. You're never in the trenches, right. seeing the decisions I made and the decisions our family made. It, you've never had a book like this, which is why I'm so excited to be, to be out talking about it. Uh, and so.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: After we, you know, I start going on campus Uh, because otherwise I'm told that I'm going to fail out and I don't want that. I just want to be done with it at this point. So, uh, once again, I don't drive to campus. I'm driven by a friend, uh, and he was a really great guy. He's actually in the Marine Corps now. And so he was my security. He was a very big, intimidating guy and went to class, got through it, went back for, uh, you know, two or three times a week. Got you, it, At this point, then... had you
0: called the professors out, like the, the department out on all of the stuff that got, where your friend got CC'd? Um, and was your professor, the one that you had to go into class for, aware that all that went down?
1: Uh, he was aware, but I'm not the one who told him.
0: Oh, really? <laughs> he was
1: aware I knew. I just never brought it up. Okay. Because I didn't want him to fail me out of the class.
0: Right. Well, um, see, that's the other concern. You have to always worry about if they're going to affect your grade on this. Yeah.
1: It was a very hard, thin line to balance, but. We got through it. I passed the class. I think I got a B in that class. So, you know, Bs get degrees. I was very happy. I was done with it. And so that led us to the next challenge, was which was what is going to happen if I go to graduation, surrounded by all these people that said, if they've seen me on campus, they're going to, to kill me. Well, my parents told me, they said, look, you know, we don't know if it's a good idea. You know, everyone's wearing masks, they're gonna be socially distanced, you're not allowed to walk on stage, you know, you're gonna sit in your seat and they'll call your name, you stand and you wave, you do all that. Um, I of course wanted the controversy. I wanted to do the normal things that every other student was doing. You know, if they were able to do what, if they had to work hard like I did and they had to pass yeah. all these classes like I did, I wanted to go through the exact same thing. You know, I'm not special, I just want to be treated as everyone else. And so,
0: it's not, it's also not just, you didn't just want the controversy. You also wanted to like prove that you were unaffected by their. That's exactly tactics, right. Right? They could, yeah.
1: they could say and do whatever they wanted and it wasn't going to change anything. And so I went, I remember sitting there surrounded by the college Democrat chair who would DM me very aggressively and under a lot of, uh, she was very angry. We'll put it that way. And I never responded to her because there's no point of wasting my time right. talking to people that aren't going to listen to us. At least hear me out. If you're not going to do that, I'm not going to waste my time. Right. And so we go and they get to the, you know, the political science majors. They're going alphabetical. They go to A, to B, to C, and then they get to G. And I know I'm coming up because we're all sitting in a line. And and right. uh, I just remember, I say, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy this as much as I can. So while everyone else is wearing masks and, you know, socially distance. I said, well, they're about to announce I'm graduating. I'm going to break this mask mandate violation, you know, violate yeah. the rule. And what are they going to do? Not send me my diploma. And so of course I, I stand up, I take my mask off. I wave to everyone. I point to a few friends and give them a thumbs up. And I point to the university president who was so difficult with us. And, uh, I gave him a big thumbs up and a wave. And, uh, there's actually a picture of it in the book.
2: Oh, wow. um, that's amazing! when they
1: announced my name, it's just me waving over. And uh, I was going to enjoy my last few minutes at Belmont University, even if I had to go through a lot of moments that were terrible. I was going to have a good time and at least be able to tell a great story. And, you know, the entire time I thought, well, what happens if I get booed? Would it bother me? No. Would Mm -hmm. it bother my parents? I think a little bit. They were very nervous. And so they, of course, don't want their son, their last son who's going through college, or last kid in college to get booed. Mm-hmm. I was okay with it because it would just go to further prove everything that I was saying was going on at the time. And so, believe it or not, the parents were applauding the parents really? of the students. People were screaming, hollering, cheering. Some of the students were who were conservative. And I was looking around, I'm like, I thought they were going to be booing. I really thought I was going to get booed at graduation. Right. And I was perfectly fine with it. But fortunately, um, I did not. It went you That's know amazing. went well. So I was everyone was
0: there. cheering. It wasn't even like one of those like kind of awkward, oh, he's not our kid, we're just gonna clap for him anyway, kind of quiet claps. It was like people were cheering and like clapping loudly for you because they understood That's exactly what it right. meant. Okay. Yes. That's amazing. It that was is surreal.
1: Amazing. It was yeah. surreal.
0: And I think I mean this this really does speak to what's going on right now in this country. The people who are really advocating for these extreme extremely progressive woke ideas are in the minority they are not they are not representative of the country as a whole the problem is is that they use these intimidation tactics um, to scare people into just kind of abiding or conforming to what they want and when people see and this is the whole point of the series courage is contagious when people see someone who's not willing to back down who's willing to stand up and be you know and kind of make sure that they represent their viewpoints properly I think that really does inspire a lot of people. It inspires them to be like, they want to they speak up and cheer you on, but that they also can tell the same story to people in their lifetime. And your family, like your mom wrote this book, um, which sounds like an amazing book. I'm really looking forward to reading it um, about like, just she's telling the world. I mean, everyone's kind of telling the world that look, don't be afraid to stand up. Um so that's great. I'm glad that happened at the very end. It's kind of like a, one of those like movie endings,
1: right? <laughs> it was. I mean, there was only one regret I ever had with the entire ordeal. The only regret was I posted that picture that started it all at 8 p.m. on the 4th of July. I wish I posted it at 8 a.m. so I could have gone through it all sooner and had, you know, had these people losing their minds at 8 a.m. to ruin their yeah. whole day rather than ruin their PM. whole day. <laughs> that was the only difference. The only difference it would have been. Yes. Yeah. 8am. I wouldn't have changed anything else I did. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't have changed any of it.
0: That's great. One thing you mentioned earlier that I wanted to ask you about is that no one expected you to fight back. Um, and no, you know, you're talking about the administrators, the security, like uh, the, the students who were trying to silence you, you're the leadership of the fraternity leadership of the, of the student government, um, the people who were trying to, or of the college Democrats who were trying to silence you. So I'm, I'm kind of, so when did, when was there a moment when you were like, I have like, was there a moment where you're like, I have to, I understand what this situation means now. And I have to stand up for my rights to, to speech. I have to stand up for my views. Um, what, have what led to that moment? If, if it did occur, like, what was the the moment you realized that?
1: So there was, um, and I actually, it was another Instagram post. So I'm, I'm getting in trouble with a lot of Instagram <laughs> posts, but I got a picture of As one does, a Senator, yeah. Senator Cotton, myself, and uh, Senator Haggerty now from Tennessee—he was ambassador at the time, running for office—and I got a picture of all three of us. And this is about July, I think twenty fifth or twenty sixth. And <laughs> I was still fed up with all of these students attacking me and commenting on Instagram and thinking they had they had beat me and that I was giving up. Mm-hmm. Well, I posted a one word caption with that picture: uncancelable. <laughs> Which drove them nuts. What and date was that, that was the point? I was think that? it was July 25th or July okay. 26th. So All it's right. you know, a few weeks after the controversy's going. And I was just so fed up with the attacks and everything, and them thinking that they were going to get their way with me and I wasn't going to do that. And that was when I that was the time when I knew there was no going back. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm in it to the end. Um, we're gonna, you know not a step back. We're just, you know, it is what it yeah. is. We're just going to lean into it and keep going with it and we'll get through it.
0: That was after um, you had already received death threats. Yes. Uh, wow.
1: That is um, the moment I knew that when I turned 21, I was buying a lot of firearms. arms. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so I, let's talk about kind of this concept of courage is contagious. Did you have anyone come up to you during this process? You did have your your friend at the fraternity apologize to you, admitting he wasn't brave enough to stand up that he wasn't willing to risk his future to stand up for what was right. Um, but you have, you know, your vice president as well in student government, she had to kind of go through this with you. Um, I'm just kind of, were there people who told you that this whole thing who came to you and said that this was actually inspiring, or even after your mom or this book, like anyone who came to you that you feel like you've inspired and touched and your story has touched them.
1: Yes. So when I was going through it all, Many friends of mine who were Republican or conservative minded, uh, they had never commented about their political beliefs ever before. And when that post I put up, the July 4th one, got so much traction, they were actually defending me. They'd never said their political beliefs, they had never said anything. They were like minded. They just didn't want to get in trouble because they felt, you know, with all the stuff going on with BLM, that they were going to be attacked too. Well, there were so many students and very grateful to all of their support, you know, of just battling back. So I wasn't, you know, wasn't on an island, which was very refreshing and gave me a lot of inspiration. Um and what I would say to all the viewers is when you're going through hardship, you could be the spark that lights the passion in a lot of people because a lot of those yeah. people started getting involved in politics once they saw what was happening to me. Wow. Which would have never happened. They would have never been involved if they did not see. Oh, why is Stevie getting attacked for saying he's a proud American on the Fourth of July? I guess things are worse than we thought. We need to do something now, and so that is so huge and so key is that we've got to remember that when one person is going through hardship and standing up, we've got a band around them yeah. uh, and support them. You know, I was able to meet President Trump in January of this year, where I talked to him about the experience, and and he heard about the book and he was very supportive of it because you know my mom had. had all this information for a long time right. and she didn't know what, what the best course of action was to do. You know, We could have sued the school. We could have sued the fast food establishment. We could have sued that girl. We could have sued the fraternity and you know that would have been great. We would have made a lot of money, but we would have had gag orders after it was all said and done ah. and we would never have been allowed to talk about it. And so there were so many different ways we could have gone with it. Um, but the way we let them win is by not talking about it And if we can inspire people to stand up, I mean, you know, fortunately now everything worked out and I have the privilege of serving as the Tennessee Young Republican chair. And I would never have been elected to this unless I stood up to those people and said, I'm not going to be bullied. I'm not going to be told what to do. You can disagree with me and that's fine, but I'm going to stand up for what we all know is right. Yeah. So we've got to make sure that we encourage our young people to stand up for the truth stand up for what they know is right, regardless of all the societal pressures that are put on them. You know, one of my favorite uh, people in history is Winston Churchill, uh, because as you know, when Europe was being invaded, he was the only person before the United States got involved in the war that said, there will be no surrender, and we're gonna stand up for what we believe in, whatever the cost is. Uh, And I think that that was really inspirational to me, and I hope it's inspirational to other people. Uh, of just doing what you know is right, because at the end of the day, no one will remember. I think I talked to maybe four or five people regularly from college who were very supportive of me. And outside of those four or five people, everyone else, they've moved on, you know, from from everything that happened at Belmont to me. No Mm -hmm. one remembers everything except for me. And I'm very grateful to say that there's nothing I regret. And I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. And so something that's so important that I try to tell young people is whatever decision you make, make sure you know, five, 10 years from now, you're going to look in the mirror and say, I'm proud of everything I did. And I wouldn't change a thing, or at least in the moment, you know, I made what I thought was the best decision.
0: No, that's, that's an amazing message for, for students, for young people who are going to be going, I mean, look, this isn't just going to end, like it didn't start overnight. It's not going to end overnight. It's going to be a big uphill battle for all of us. And like you said, banding together is, that's a huge part of it, not abandoning each other in the fight because, we all too often see you know with the fear that that the the far left has stoked in a lot of people they are not willing to stand up and it puts everyone in a situation that just not only perpetuates the problem but it leaves people who are willing to fight completely isolated and in those situations when they are isolated like that and they don't have the friends and the support that they need to be successful not only can they lose the battle but at the same time they're going to come out so damaged that they may not be able to fully recover and actually continue fighting anymore. So that is why it's so important for, you know, like you said, everyone needs to, when, when you see someone fighting like this, don't think that guy's crazy. He's like, he's a, you know, he's totally cool for doing it, but he's crazy. I would never do that. And then just like walk away, go over there, shake his hand, tell him how you feel, how he's inspiring people. Just that helps just people telling you that what you're doing they believe is the right thing is helpful in and itself, even if they can't contribute in other ways. Um, before we leave, I do kind of want to just get your take on a couple of questions that I have for you just about your generation. Um, so I'm a millennial. I, I work a lot with Zoomers and you know folks from, from your generation because obviously we work on college campuses and I hear just so many different takes about what's going on and so many concerns. I do want to get your sense though about the future of your generation. Um, do you feel that you know, you see a lot of evil in your generation right now. What, what you went through was um, a lot of it was caused by your peers and a lot of the threats came from your peers. Um, so but you also saw a lot of people being inspired towards the end of your story. You had a lot of your peers who were very inspired by you and who were supportive during the whole thing. So what is your general sense, you know of and you're you're working in uh, you know for the Tennessee young Republicans now you're the're you're the, you're the Tennessee chair, right, the state chair for that. Um, so you're seeing a lot of young folks in your generation who are trying to fight back. What is your general sense of like the future of Gen Z like what's the what's it going to look like in in 10, 20 years?
1: Well, I think right now, especially. It could go two ways. One, I think we've got to do a better job of reaching out to people and encouraging them to stand up in high school, uh, especially in high school, before they even get to college. Because we've got to teach people that you don't go to college to find who you are. You need to know who you are before that. Otherwise, college is going to change you. You know, it's like being in politics. If you're, you know, it changes who you are unless you know who you are going into it. Uh, You've got to stand up for what you believe in from beginning to end. Uh, So I think, you know, part of me is very worried because we are having our First Amendment rights taken away. We're losing our Second Amendment rights. We're unable to do the things and say the things that the other side is saying because they'll just take us off social media. So it is so critical for us to build an infrastructure of people that can meet together, that can talk together, uh, so many young people don't know groups like the Young Republicans or Turning Point USA or other groups. They just don't know they exist right. because they've never heard of us. So if we can get out in front of that uh, and beat the left at the messaging game, which you know they're fantastic at, to give them credit, they they beat us in it in every way, shape, and form. And we've really got to be proactive rather than reactive to everything they do. I think that's a big problem. You know, we say, "Oh well, we'll just leave it alone," and then the left goes and messes something up, and then. A couple of years later, the right says, Oh, well, I think we need to fix that now. But unfortunately, it's too late for some things. So I feel very hopeful with the young people that we have throughout this country and with all the things happening and all the hardship happening. You know, hard times create hard people. You know, you have to go through it- hardship in order to be better people because soft times make for weak people. Right. Um, and so I'm very, very hopeful. I think that with my generation, they've seen the mistakes that the millennials have made with student loan debt, uh, with getting five degrees that aren't going to pay anything. You know, we've had a lot of people in my generation not go to college and go into skilled trades instead, which I think is great. Uh, my parents run a skilled trade business. My grandpa was a skilled tradesman. He was a diesel truck mechanic. Um, and those are the jobs that are always going to be around. Uh, those are the, the, the people that are always going to be needed. And the gender studies majors and the art majors are not going to be needed. Some of them will, but, you know, 99% <laughs> won't. Uh, and so people in my generation need to make a decision of what kind of life they want to live. Do they want to live under the thumb of the government, which the interest rates keep going up? They're unable to, to, to get a car a car loan. They're unable to buy a house ever. day. They're always going to have to rent. They're always going to have their student loans to pay off. I guess it just comes down to each and every single person uh, their decision of what kind of future they want to have. And it's up to people like you and I to, to get out there and, and give our message. So at least they'll make an educated decision and they'll be able to be, you know, they'll have informed consent on whatever path they choose. And I think that's really right. important is that people don't know, you know, when you're 18, you can't get a $100,000 loan from a bank to start a business. Yeah. But they'll give you a hundred thousand, 200,000, 300,000 student loans in student loans. Yeah. at the same age. And I think that's, you know, we've got to get in front of people and we've got to show them that it's not right of them just forcing you into this path.
0: Right. Yeah. They're forcing you to be indebted, um, for mm-hmm. the entire, like first half of your life, essentially, uh, uh, for something that's never, never going to pay out might've been something that you didn't want to do. It's, it's definitely something that I'm glad that It is interesting because we have seen a decrease in college attendance with Gen Z. um, uh, And I think that has a lot to do with it. They're, they're making wiser decisions. They're waiting, um, understanding that the, the debt to loan ratio actually can be very detrimental to starting a business or to buying property. Um, So I think you're right. There's a lot of I, I have high hopes for your generation personally, because I, I think, you know, I see individuals like you, I mean, it's really easy to get what we call blackpilled, um, in DC, which is, you know, just kind of like losing hope, becoming very cynical. You start to see some of these situations, especially if you're on social media and you see like all of the, the rioting and the robbing of stores and some of the crazy things that professors and teachers and students say and do, um, it's it's disturbing and um, it can make you lose hope very quickly. But hearing stories like yours and some of the others we've had on this podcast, here talking to students who have fought back, it really actually does, you know, bring you back from from that darker way of thinking because you're like, wait a second, there are there are good people out there. There are people who are good heads on their shoulders um, and are doing the right thing, standing up for their convictions. Um, I tell students a lot that, the, one of the main things you should be trying to do on campus is by having these debates, these discussions, by inquiring and pushing back. It's forcing you to strengthen and develop your convictions in a way that you don't really get to practice outside of the campus. Because on campus, you have that that kind of more free, you're supposed to have that freedom where you can actually argue with each other and stand up for what you believe, but also to hear the challenges against what you believe. And because that will just make you either stronger or it'll make you do more research. It'll motivate you to come back with better arguments, but you need that practice, um, that, that, that you need that kind of motivation, um, to really be successful and to, to grow intellectually. So thank you, uh, Stevie for coming on today. That was a fascinating riveting story. I was just like, I'm still, my mind is blown by some of these details. Everyone if who's listening, if you want to read more details about what happened, what happened to Stevie, um, you can find uh, his mom wrote a book, Gloria Giorno. She wrote the book Outcast, How the Radical Left Tried to Destroy a Young Conservative. Um, that's where they have all the evidence, all of the imagery, screenshots of, of everything that's happened. I think it was very, very brilliant on your, your part to avoid the gag orders because like you said, the way they win is forcing us not to talk about it. This is why speech is so important. Free speech is so important in this country. This is what the founders fought for. They wanted to be able to speak their minds and speak up against tyranny. Um, and this is this is the whole purpose of the American of the American idea, the American experiment. Um, everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. Like I said, check out the book Outcast, How the Radical Left Tried to Destroy a Young Conservative. I'm Sharice Trump and Stevie, that was well said.
2: Thank you.